A new week, a new episode of People Are Wild. Like the sands of time, another week begins and Monday finds me dropping the latest offering I have about the medical world into the podcast listening app of your choice and delighting your ears with my auditory knowledge. Now, my name is Kim. I'm still your friendly neighborhood ER nurse of a host, and I'm here for yet another week to bring you something unique and fun and sometimes entertaining. Medutainment. Medical entertainment. It's going to take over the world. Now, some observations, announcements, and follow-up. I have been recently obsessed with watching that show Catfish on MTV. I watched it all the way from season one to the current episodes, and I watched the movie. So number one, Neve grew up so much from that movie to who he is today. Like, it's just like, he glowed up. Isn't that what kids say? Glowed up? I don't know. But anyways, he definitely long-bottomed. Nope. See, I'm using all these terms that I feel like nobody knows, but he did a great job maturing. We'll leave it at that. Number two, Max is a silver fox. That can definitely get it. So kudos to his beautiful wife. And finally, how is it that the show is still on? How does it still exist for years at this point? And there are still people out there who are getting catfished. And every episode is the same thing with maybe a few exceptions and outliers. A person reaches out to Neve and Max to get help meeting the person that they fell in love with online. And womp womp, that person ended up lying about who they really were. But you know what? I watched every episode. I was never bored, even though it had the same formula and same outcome for almost every episode. And I can't explain why I like it. And I won't try to defend myself against trash TV. That is also enthralling. Now, my hope is that my podcast is also in the same way, somewhat like Catfish. Enthralling, but somewhat trashy. Wait, no, not that trashy part. Never mind. Maybe problematic. I try to shake things up with different topics and to keep things nice and fresh and This time, I've decided to branch out once again and do something a little bit different. Let's get into why you tuned into another episode by getting right to today's subject. Now, I've lit my John Travolta prayer candle, reminiscent of Pulp Fiction, thank you very much, listened to Electric Love by Bournes on a loop repeat for the past hour, and I'm ready, if you're ready, to talk about how people are wild. Now, the stories profiled in this specific episode are adapted and quoted from Backpack Magazine articles published in June 2013 and December 2011, respectively, because sometimes the best thing I can do for this show is to just tell the story directly from the source. Graham Austin couldn't feel his legs. He looked at his shredded clothes and figured he had been mauled by a bear. His muscles were taut as bowstrings when he tried to move. His wife, Katie, and friends crowded in and asked if he was all right, if he could say his name, if he knew where he lived. He gave answers they were looking for, but had no idea what had happened to make them ask. Graham Austin was 26 years young on that July 3rd of 2011. He set out that warm July morning with his wife, Katie, and four friends to camp atop Rowan Mountain State Park's Little Hump Mountain, which was a short way off the Appalachian Trail, the good old AT. One day I want to do that hike. It's a good through hike. It's a lot of interesting people you meet along the way, and you get something like a trail nickname when you do it. So, you know, 
I'm all about nicknames. Now, it was near the Tennessee-North Carolina border that we found Graham and his hiking party. It was his first overnight backpacking trip, but his experienced companions assured him that the 10-mile hike would be more than rewarded by the view from one of the South's highest peaks. No doubt that Graham was excited, but nervous. Now, I know some firsthand experience about this. During my first overnight backpacking trip, I could barely sleep the night before from excitement and anticipation and nerves. It's like being a kid on Christmas Eve night. You're too excited to go to sleep. So for Graham and company, they started from Carver's Gap and hiked eight hours through rolling shaded forests, passing picture-perfect campsites with fire rings, as well as one of the AT's famous shelters, a classic red barn known as the Overmountain Shelter. They continued on with one goal in mind, a bald summit paradise covered with waist-high emerald grasses, offering a 360-degree view of the southern Appalachians. Beautiful. Perfection. Nature at its finest. Evening sunlight gilded the mountainside as they reached their hilltop campsite, and Graham reclined on the moist, therapeutic mattress of soil to enjoy it. Scattered dark clouds had passed overhead throughout their hike, but it wasn't until their arrival at camp that Graham saw the sporadic flashes of lightning from the approaching storm. It looked at least 10 miles away, so they thought, and they would have about 20 minutes or more to set up camp before the storm was on top of them. But hindsight, as they always say, is 2020. Nowadays, Graham knows better. If you can see lightning flash or hear thunder at all, and you're unprotected outside, even in a tent, you're taking a risk. If a storm is closer than six miles away, you're in the strike zone. Sound travels a mile in about five seconds. Just five seconds. So fewer than 30 seconds between lightning and thunder spells trouble. At the time, Graham also didn't realize that lightning can strike from far away out of the blue. Graham turned away from the clouds and started setting up his tent. And then everything went black. It was minutes later when Graham awoke with blurry vision. He felt like he was coming out of anesthesia and his muscles screamed in pain. His shirt was torn across his chest and the fly of his shorts was charred and peeled open. Katie and a friend, Joe, knelt next to him, relieved that he was awake. Katie told Graham that he had been struck by lightning. They all had. The multi-million volt Flash had flattened him and left a shovel scoop-sized divot in the soil two feet to his side. His companions had all been knocked momentarily unconscious by the electrical current traveling through the ground, but their distance from the strike had made their injuries less severe. One suffered a concussion from his fall and another bit her tongue. When they found Graham, though, he was at the nucleus of the scene and he was face down and breathless and without a pulse completely unresponsive. He had a half inch wide red burn from his forehead to his left foot with a path of singed hair tracing where the current had traveled across his sweat soaked skin. Katie and Joe performed CPR to revive Graham. And as he later learned, it was a long 30 seconds before his heart restarted and jumped to life. And Katie continued rescue breathing even after he first gasped for air, as Graham couldn't control his breathing at first. It can sometimes take 30 minutes or more for lightning strike victims to regain regular neurological functions. Even when he was breathing on his own, Graham wasn't out of the woods yet. He was paralyzed from the waist down. His legs were turning a mottled eggplant purple from lack of blood flow, and his veins protruded like spider webs under his cold skin. Katie and several members of the passing group massaged his legs to revive circulation, while Joe and a friend sprinted to call for rescue. As Graham's legs regained a healthy color, 
The storm rolled closer. The group watched bolts explode atop surrounding summits, not realizing that they remained in grave danger. The group didn't discuss moving to a less vulnerable location, which should have been their top priority the minute that they noticed the storm. While there's nowhere outside that's totally safe in a storm, they would have been better off below the bald summit, where stands of uniform height trees and rolling terrain offered better protection from another strike. It was only 90 minutes after the strike that a volunteer rescue squad arrived to haul Graham down the mountain. Though he had been scared about the numbness and paralysis of his lower limbs, his legs had regained some function by the time they carried him to the bottom of the mountain another hour and a half later. Now, thanks to the quick response and perseverance of Graham's companions, Graham was alive. Next came 18 hours in the hospital with EKGs to see his heart rhythm, IV fluids for fluid maintaining and rehydration, and waiting and watching. Watching for things like retinal detachment and other signs and symptoms that might cause trouble or might be life-threatening for lightning strike victims. Although it took roughly a month for his muscles to recover, Graham walked out of the hospital with no lasting damage, besides his charred clothing, that is. Now, Graham Austin and his hiking friends were supremely lucky. And I'm hopeful that Graham walked out of the hospital and directly into a place to buy a lottery ticket. Lightning injury is serious business, and there are a few different mechanisms of injury regarding lightning strikes and injuries. So let's make like Justin Timberlake's duet with Beyonce until the end of time, and let's break it down one time. Ground current. This is when lightning hits an object nearby and radiates outward. If a person is in the path of the current, the electricity may pass over or through them. Ground current causes 50 to 55% of lightning injuries. Splash lightning. This occurs when lightning jumps from one object to another. Splash lightning causes 30 to 35% of injuries. Contact. 3 to 5% of lightning injuries happen when touching a conductor, such as a wire fence or a corded phone. Direct hits cause only 3 to 5% of lightning injuries. And finally, blast injury. And this can happen from lightning strikes when rapidly expanding air is a result of the strike. That will in turn throw somebody back and cause an injury from that blast. Now, a lot can happen in three milliseconds, and that's all it takes for a lightning bolt to course through your body. With this comes different types of injuries from a lightning strike. Heart and lung failure, which is what Graham had experienced to some extent, and that even warranted CPR, can happen with lightning strikes. The heart is a mechanical and electrical pump, and when a big-ass jolt, courtesy of Mother Nature herself, in the form of a lightning strike, hits somebody head-on, that heart rhythm gets overloaded, and the heart can get thrown into a lethal rhythm, or outright stop beating. This is one of the leading causes of death in lightning strike victims. Neurological issues also can happen. Neurological compromise can include loss of responsiveness, paralysis, seizures, loss of fine motor skills. All of this can happen as a result of a lightning strike. If the electrical current enters your skull, that's a bad day because it could literally cook your brain, resulting in, duh, brain damage, or even putting you into a coma. Mom always said TV will melt your brain, but in the case of a lightning strike, it could literally do that kind of like something from scanners. Hopefully not. Now, in the wake of a lightning attack, you might be faced with a lifetime of neurological afflictions for reasons that scientists still don't fully understand. Isn't that reassuring? Some scientists believe that lightning scrambles your internal circuitry. 
like that, probably like that, altering the behavior of your actual cells. And so as a result of that, this rewiring, you might undergo personality changes, mood swings, and memory loss. And it's also possible that you will suffer from chronic pain and constant Parkinson's-like muscle twitches. Now, burns are also a big thing people talk about when it comes to lightning strikes. This occurs because blood vessels are bursting from the electrical discharge and heat, and they create something called a Lichtenberg figure. And that's actually something you can create um, as some people create for artistic purposes using electrical charges and ground currents. It's actually really cool. You can watch it on YouTube how they do it and it makes these beautiful figures. But that's art. We're talking about lightning strike and this electrical current coursing through your body better than anything out of a Mulan song about coursing rivers, right? These Lichtenberg figures are thought to be caused by the rupture of capillaries under the skin, which are these tinier blood vessels that are closer to your skin. And this occurs due to the passage of the lightning current or the shock wave from the lightning discharge as it flashes over the skin. Now these cause these reddish fern-like patterns that may persist for hours or days. This pattern of scars branches out across your body, like the limbs of a tree, likely tracing the path that the electricity took as it traveled through you. So basically, you become a roadmap towards that lightning strike. Now here's a fun fact. This burn pattern is also a useful indicator for medical examiners when determining the cause of death. So that's something you can put in your random knowledge bank. As the lightning strikes and then exits your body, it will leave you with deep wounds, often accompanied with third-degree burns. Your hair and clothing might singe or even catch on fire. Your clothes might even be shredded, as in Graham's case, by the explosive force of the surrounding air being superheated to up to 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit, five times hotter than the surface of the sun. If you happen to be wearing any metal objects like necklaces or piercings in precarious places, they could channel the electric charge as well, superheating and thus searing your skin. That'd be a hell of a burn pattern if you have a nipple piercing. And if lightning exits through your feet, the force could literally knock your shoes and socks off. But can you imagine actually the smell of a lightning strike victim? You have this tissue and hair that are charred, singed, and or on fire. And I can assure you as a woman who accidentally burnt herself using a flat iron numerous times, the smell of burnt hair is not that pleasing to the olfactory sense. So just imagine that on a much more heightened scale. Eye injuries can also happen, which can lead to temporary blindness due to intense light and shock waves near the lightning strikes. Ear injuries happen at times and produce temporary deafness, possibly even rupturing eardrums and might cause nerve damage as caused by loud noise of thunder and accompanying shock waves. Now, the force of the strike can cause the blast injury due to rapidly expanding air, and so you might see trauma injuries that can be as a result from being thrown in the air by the blast. So think about like a Michael Bay movie, and you are being thrown and there's explosions behind you. And you know what? I always kind of liked Bad Boys. It was a good movie, but my favorite Michael Bay movie, I think, would have to be Pain and Gain. And it's not because The Rock's in it, but that does factor into a lot of reasons why I like it. It is very underrated. And just imagine you're being thrown into the air like you're in a Michael Bay movie is the whole point of this. Now, speaking of Pain and Gain, it goes without saying that, of course, there is pain that comes with being struck by a freaking lightning bolt and surviving that. Another lightning strike survivor described it as being stung by 
thousands of wasps all at once constantly. And I'm not talking about the capitalized wasps. But maybe if you were stung by them, that would also be painful, but probably in a different way. I'm going to go ahead and pull a Simon Cowell and say that being stung by thousands of those things is a no from me, Mother Nature. If I could avoid being struck by lightning in general, that is a good day in my book. That is a win in my plus column. So Graham basically had a combination of all these injuries to some extent at some point, or his companions also had somewhat of these injuries. Think about the person who sustained a concussion. That was probably a bit from the blast injury. So the fact that he made a full recovery as well as his companions shows just how incredible the body is in terms of establishing normal and recovering itself. Graham was hit full on by a lightning bolt, but Stan Fail's tale of lightning survival was a skosh bit different. The 46-year-old from California was out hiking in Colorado with his teenage son's Boy Scout troop. They were doing a trek to climb Colorado's highest 14er, Mount Elbert, which stood at 14,440 feet. He recounted that he had waited longer than he should have at the summit, hoping that all 15 of the people in their group would make it to the top. Summit fever was high, as the peak would have been the fifth 14er of the week for most of the Boy Scouts in the troop. Now, as a slightly avid hiker myself, I can tell you that when you get close to the summit of a difficult, hard hike, nothing will stop you from getting to the top and signing that freaking logbook. Miley Cyrus was right about the climb, y'all. But it is, you get like this second wind, third wind, fourth wind, fifth wind, whatever wind it is, you get it and nothing will slow you down. Now, in most cases, I have been able to summit. Now, there was one hike that I did about six months ago that was a little bit more difficult for me. The hike itself wasn't the difficult part, but I was going up and gaining a lot more elevation and I didn't really have the proper equipment on board in terms of water, food, hydration, any of that. And I had a moment where I got a little bit of altitude sickness, and that was a whole thing. I descended quickly, I got disoriented, I got lost off of the easiest trail in the book, and ended up having a bit of an issue, but I am alive. I was fine. There was no search and rescue party. I actually used a little bit of my survival skills, and I was able to make my way out. But the point is this, when you get towards the summit, nothing will stop you, not even weather that tells you you should probably turn back. So Stan had joined the group, which included his teenage son, just the day before this hike. Now there had been rain, but no high country lightning all week. So when he mentioned the building clouds, the boys and troop leaders weren't really concerned. Stan, though, felt as though he should have acted on his instincts to get off the summit right then. Stan was the only one who seemed worried about the storm until one of the boys, a 15-year-old with shoulder-length hair locks, pointed to his hair, and it was literally standing on end because of all the static in the air. And that's not a good sign. Everyone's ears began buzzing with electricity. Literally. The charge in the air was palpable, and everyone should have dropped to the ground. But instinctively, somewhat of a fear fight-or-flight reflex took over. And they all started running. And Stan hoped that his legs and knees could handle this pounding, bounding pace down the mountain. Stan yelled to the boys to spread out as they ran, not to group together, knowing that they would reach the tree line long before he would. Within minutes, it was pouring rain. Lightning and thunder boomed and flashed simultaneously. It was like a battlefield, with jagged bolts hitting the ground every 10 to 15 seconds like bombs. 
boom, boom, boom. Stan was praying as he ran. And when he saw the bolt of electricity jump from the ground to his fingers, Stan thought he was a goner. An arc of electricity jumped out of the ground and flowed directly into his left hand. It looked like something you'd see out of a sci-fi movie. Maybe sort of like Back to the Future in that clock tower scene. Or perhaps Stan was actually about to become the Flash. Maybe it was more like Stan was about to figure out what women want because he can now read only women's minds. No, none of this actually happened. What did happen was that he was about halfway between the summit of Colorado's highest mountain and the tree line when he was hit by lightning. Now by then, he had been running full bore, full steam, full on down the mountain for almost 20 minutes. His hand was hot and his arm had tingled from the shock, but surprisingly, Stan was otherwise uninjured. The bounding in his heart, lungs, and legs was all from the running, not the direct hit he had narrowly avoided. Stan recalled that this was the only time in his life that he really thought he might die. Now, his entire life didn't flash before his eyes. No, instead it was a lightning that did. But he was worried about his wife and family. And when it was over, Stan felt lucky to be alive and also humbled by the power and the treachery of nature. So here's some advice from Stan and Graham. Ooh, that's a fun thing to say. Sounds like a fun band that plays bluegrass covers of 90s Euro pop dance hits. Hey, we're Stan and Graham. Here's Pump Up the Jam on a ukulele and a mandolin. But when they aren't making the best covers of those Euro pop dance hits of the 90s, here is probably the advice they would want to impart upon you in order to avoid getting struck by lightning. Follow your instincts about reduced risk exposure, even if other people disagree with you. Your life depends on good judgment. Keep your group safe. Be aware of weather windows. Check forecasts and establish turnaround times, alternate routes, and points on your route that keep you away from exposed terrain during peak storm hours. Watch for safer terrain. And don't wait for a storm to reach you before repositioning. If you are caught in unexpected conditions and moving is unsafe, or your group is stuck on a flat open ground, spread at least 50 feet apart to prevent a single strike from incapacitating everyone and assume the lightning position. Oh, but what's the lightning position, Kim? Hang on, I'm gonna answer it. You place your feet together, crouch low on a folded sleeping pad or insulator, and don't touch nearby objects or conductors, such as wires or fences. Remember this phrase, because I'm all about phrases. You're not dead until you're warm and dead. All bleeding stops. CPR is like sex. Tinkle don't sprinkle. And the one that you need to take away from this episode, when thunder roars, go indoors. There is no safe place in a lightning storm if you're outdoors, contrary to what you've been told. Seek shelter in buildings and vehicles. Avoid dangerous locations, which will include places higher than surrounding terrain, such as peaks, summits, ridges, hills, isolated tall objects like lone trees, open terrains such as meadows, large bodies of water, and especially stay away from shoreline, shallow overhangs, and caves. Places obviously struck before need to be avoided too. Contrary to what maybe a romantic comedy like Sweet Home in Alabama might say, lightning can strike twice, and so you also need to be aware of the fact that if it's been burned before, it can be hit again. I'm sure a lot of my exes say that. And avoid long conductors such as pipes, wires, wire fences, and wet ropes. Now, I once saw a case 
not too long ago where a guy was peeing on a barbed wire fence when lightning struck the fence a little bit farther down the line. And it traveled down the wire fence, traveled and arced into the guy's urine stream, and thus he ended up with burns to his penis. And if you're really curious, you can Google the pictures about how it happened and like see it. No, I'm just kidding. That never actually happened. That is a medical urban legend, but it's fun to tell the story and see what people's reactions are. It's kind of not possible for the story to happen. But if we're going to talk about some more medical urban legends regarding lightning, let's talk about that age-old question. Should you shower while there is a thunder and lightning storm outside? The National Weather Service urges the public to avoid hopping in the shower during a lightning storm in the event that a bolt strikes one of your home's water pipes and electrifies your bathroom. It is safe to shower only once thunderstorms have passed you by. In fact, I watched an episode of Mythbusters in preparation for this particular topic. I do a lot of hardcore research, you can tell. And the guys prove that this is plausible in terms of lightning impacting your showering setup. But this was based on common old plumbing methods and building methods. Now, depending on the construction norms which were followed to build a house, as well as the anti-lightning prevention systems that are in place in newer homes, there are cities and towns which theoretically can say that there is no chance of having any charge conduct through the water canals of any houses in that area, thus making it lightning proof. But that being said, I'm not going to take a chance and I will gladly wait with my sweaty, disgusting self until a thunderstorm passes before hopping into a shower. I mean, who else would host this show if I died showering? Also, it would just be so embarrassing to be found, even like post-mortem and everything. Like if you were naked in the shower and you'd been struck by lightning, it's just like a worst case scenario situation. Let's kind of just go over a little bit more about lightning facts specific to America and the United States because that's where I'm based out of. Sorry, guys. Florida. Oh, the good old state of Florida. Florida actually ranks as the number one state with the most lightning strikes and fatalities from lightning strikes. And then this is according to the National Weather Service. Don't ask me why. I'm not all knowing and I'm certainly not Storm from X-Men, but... Some days I wish that I was that weather goddess in order to get out of post-work plans. That'd be the ultimate excuse. Sorry, you can't come. It's snowing outside of my house and only my house. I don't know how this happens. Bye! The weather goddess strikes again. Now, although it is rare with the odds of getting struck in your lifetime being roughly 1 in 12,000, every now and then a human will provide an attractive target for lightning bolts to unleash their power. And of the roughly 500 people who are struck by lightning each year, about 90% of them survive. So I guess the odds are in your favor, but maybe just don't go outside waving poles trying to get struck by lightning. In the wake of a lightning strike, it has been found that in some cases, the strike can lead to strange, maybe even supernatural, extraordinary talents and powers. No, for real. In a blog post for Psychology Today, a University of Miami neuroscientist, Barrett Brogard, writes about an incident where an orthopedic surgeon who was struck by lightning developed an urge to learn to play the piano. And he began to compose music he had mysteriously started hearing in his head since the strike. And then, a few months later, he left his career as a surgeon and became a classical musician. This baffled scientists and is kind of cool, but also baffles me. Now, one theory that Brogard 
says is that the cell death that occurs when you're struck by lightning could cause this one-time massive flooding of the brain with these neurotransmitters that are released from the dying neurons. And when I read it, I kind of thought to myself, is that like a Remember Me Simba sort of reference? Is that like a Mufasa thing going on? So this causes a rewiring of the brain cells. And then it'll provide access to areas of the brain that were previously inaccessible. But like I said, as cool as that would be, you shouldn't count on a straight bolt of electricity turning you into a prodigy in one swift flash. The overwhelming majority of consequences of being struck by lightning are excruciatingly painful and lead to debilitating, sometimes lifelong injuries and consequences. So sorry guys, you won't become the flash if you do wave those metal poles out there doing a dance while outside in a lightning storm. So there is that brief overview of lightning injuries and lightning strikes. In the show notes, I'm going to put up a link to an archive that the National Weather Service has put together of lightning strike survivors and their stories. And it goes on a little bit about the lasting effects of their strikes. It's amazing reading material. I personally love it. I probably read almost all of them in one go. And my personal favorite right now, because I'm still reading a few of them, because I said most of them. I didn't say all of them. I read most of them. But my personal favorite has to be Missy's story, because she says that post being struck by lightning, she ended up with ESP. So please go read these stories of these survivors. They're interesting. They are entertaining at times, but some of them are actually quite heartbreaking too. So let's wrap up this episode as I always do for the foreseeable future by playing another round of You Got What Stuck Where? And the rules are as so. I give you four clues. You use the beautiful website that is Twitter to tweet to me at People Are Wild with your best guess. And the person who is most correct first gets some sweet stickers, sweet bragging rights, and possibly can take over the world. I don't know. So here we go. Clue one. This happened to one of my relatives. No, just kidding. I think. It did happen to Italian man, though, and I am part Italian, so who knows? Maybe he is one of my relatives. I hope that he isn't. Clue two. This man tried to remove the foreign object himself, but during his attempt, the item broke, which finally persuaded him to hit up the emergency room. Clue three. The man showed no signs of bleeding, but an x-ray did confirm the presence of a foreign object lodged in his, yes, you guessed it, rectum. Killed him, damn near rectum. And clue four, Annie Lennox has a song in her collection that would probably be the perfect theme song for this man post-removal of this object. So there are four clues. You tweet to me, at People Are Wild, and I get to see just how creative and maybe disgusting you guys are. I love it all though. Just to sum it all up, a big shout out goes to everybody who listens. Again, I'm going to do a little bit of a special shout out to my dad. He loves listening to this show and he loves giving me pearls of wisdom and the best constructive criticism. It's, as he says, it's kind of like I'm talking with him on a weekly basis, even though we are always separated by distance and miles due to my work. So having his feedback is awesome. I love it. But having your guys's feedback is even more awesome because my dad is one person and I love him very much, but he's my dad. He's my parent. He's 
He's my my father. And I do this show for everybody. So hearing additional feedback from you guys, it's always just humbling and fun to interact with you. So I am so grateful that you all tune into this little hodgepodge of the show. I hope everyone is having a great week ahead, has something amazing planned. And I just want you guys again to remember that this is a show that is as much for you as it is, I guess, for me. I look forward to discussing topics that are specific to some of you uh, on a personal level and the strength that you show by sharing your stories with me or sharing topics that are important to you are very, very special and I do not take it lightly. And like I said to a couple of people, I will do right by your journey and I look forward to talking with you more about how to properly produce something that can be good for for highlighting something that is important to you. So I wish you all a great week ahead. Believe in the good, commit random acts of kindness, and remember that when thunder roars, please go indoors. Hi, true crime fans. I'm Erin. And I'm Shay. We host All Crime No Cattle, a conversational podcast which focuses on true crime stories from the Lone Star State. We strive to bring you a balanced and well-researched story about Texas cases big and small. We do the research so you don't have to. We also end every episode with a good news story, just to remind everyone that real life isn't quite as depressing as true crime can make it out to be. New episodes drop every Thursday, and you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All crime, no cattle, because crime is bigger in Texas, y'all.